Hello everybody, this is Pastor Mike, and uh, I'm back for part two of our um, study we began today on moments that change the life of a believer, and we're talking about how water baptism and the doctrine that is in air that is taught in many churches has brought us into a doctrine of error uh, and a doctrine of misunderstanding that can have very far-reaching implications in one's spiritual life. And so um, we're going to go into that. Before I do, I want to welcome all my podcasters from around the world. I pray that God is ministering to you. I want to, to remind you to contact me at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. And along with that, I want to tell you that tomorrow on my podcast and Facebook, I'll be finishing part two of um, uh, the priority of worship. So that'll be coming up tomorrow, and you don't want to miss that. As for today, we're going to go into part two of Moment That Changed the Life of a Believer. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Open our eyes that we can see our ears, that we can hear in our heart, that we can understand what the Word of God is saying, and then allow us to apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. Now, Father, we ask that Jesus would speak to us through the Holy Spirit and we'll sanctify ourselves and yield ourselves and surrender ourselves to that end so that we can know from Him what we need to know, do, understand, and demonstrate. We'll receive it and release it to your people. We'll give you praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So why are we looking into moments that change the life of a believer? And why are we beginning with something such as water baptism? Well, we've talked at various times about grace and the misrepresentation of grace that is ongoing in our doctrinal uh, denominations today. And uh, we have spoken on how that um, doctrine has not been um, uh, done, uh, taught appropriately, uh, and the detriment to the church. But um, we wanted to come and talk about this water baptism issue because uh, once error begins, it begins in the church, uh, there are a lot of subsequent errors that follow. And so water baptism is one that we come into error with and uh, so we, we want to go back to Paul's teaching in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2 and um, uh, look into again what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus in chapter 2. In which in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we had our manner of life in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. Now watch this. This is verse 3. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God who was rich in mercy for his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, sins hath made us alive together with Christ by grace are you saved. Now, 
That's very telling scripture. So what we're seeing here is the fact that if we are not baptized correctly, the nature in us is not addressed. We will be operating in a nature that has finds its dwelling, its beginning in worldly things. Look what the scripture said about it. It said, looking in verse 2, in which in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the sons of disobedience. And then he says, among whom ye also uh, had as our manner of life in times past the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature, by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. So we have a problem with nature, and that's why Jesus began this teaching to the Gentiles by showing them that they would have to take a complete belief system change that was going to be able to address their not only their flesh, but their nature. Now, allow me to say this today as I begin. Our ministry and our message is the only ministry that I know of that defines and describes the means through the plan of salvation that are associated with the actions of Jesus Christ for a man to be delivered from his sin nature. Now, there is a way that that's been done. You say to me, Pastor Mike, how was it? He made a way for you to be delivered from sin. He made a way for you to be delivered from the flesh. He made a way for you to be delivered from the sin nature. Jesus Christ did it all. Where did he do it? Sin at the cross. The flesh in the tomb. And the sin nature deposited in the region of the damned when man came out robed in righteousness. God did it all. He had a plan for you to completely change your belief system. Now, if our belief system remains in just the concept of being saved, what happens? We war against our flesh and against our sin nature. And as we war against our flesh and our sin nature because our belief system has not been altered by the plan of salvation and the work of Jesus Christ, what happens? We go from sin to forgiveness. Then we sin again. We go to guilt. Where does that take us? Back to forgiveness. And this cycle of sin and guilt and forgiveness is a never-ending one. Why? Because we are not capable in ourselves to overcome our own flesh, our own mind, and our own internal instinct of nature. We're not able to do that. God knew that in the plan of salvation, there had to be a means for the Gentile where the Gentile would have the opportunity to follow and track the footsteps of Jesus Christ so his entire belief system could be not altered, but transformed. He could be changed 
at the cross. Then once the cross happened, the transformation of the death of the flesh and the death of the sin nature and being delivered from the sin nature into robes of righteousness. God had all this planned in the means by which uh, the Gentile would enter into the kingdom of his dear son. And he had all of this planned, but we refuse it because all we want to do is stay at the cross. We want to remain at the cross and leave the elements that are attached to the world, according to Paul's writings in Ephesians 2, that are attached to the world, which is our flesh, our mind, and our nature. We want to leave those alone. We don't want to deal with those. We think that because he saved us at the cross, everything has been accomplished. And the facts are that Jesus Christ, picking up his cross in obedience to the Father, did not stop at the cross. He did not stop until he went from the cross to the tomb, to the region of the damned, ascended up into glory, to become the high priest over your over his own sacrifice and sprinkle blood so that you could be sanctified by the sanctifier and called brethren. Then he entered into the throne room of God where he was called now because of the work that he had accomplished, the exalted Lord. Then coming back, shared his exaltation with us and prescribed how the Jew and the Gentile would operate as he had already taught the disciples, but then he came back and told us how now he would operate with the Gentile. The Gentile came into picture after Jesus came back as Lord. Prior to that, the Gentile, the nations outside the Jews had really nothing in him except a very few interactions. But now he came back as Lord over everything. So as he speaks in Mark 16 and as he speaks in Matthew 28, he speaks from a brand new perspective because he has been made Lord over heaven, earth, and hell. Everything that's in him now, not just the Jew. And so then uh, he gives his teaching and he returns back into glory, sits down at the right hand of majesty, and there he becomes the man in the Godhead bodily. The dispersion at that point becomes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a plain line to see, and Peter teaches it very succinctly in the second chapter of the book of Acts. So, But we as a people refuse the concept of anything past the cross. Therefore, we remain riddled with the things that Paul is defining that the Galatians or the Ephesians need to come out of. And we remain riddled with the possibility that the Galatians had of working into another gospel. Why? Because we remain fleshly. We remain in our own mind. And we remain in a nature that is contrary to the plan that God created through the walk of Jesus Christ and his actions, the plan of salvation, that would bring us the ability for the Holy Ghost to replicate in us those actions that Jesus did. So we know what verse 3 and 4 says and verse 5. Now let's look at what Paul is saying to us. Paul concludes the review of the spiritual content of the Gentile by making a statement of which he began this chapter. He says, we are quickened together with the victoriously anointed Christ. 
So where did the quickening occur? Where was the victorious? Where did it happen? Over what is he being declared victorious? Well, my friend, we weren't quickened at the cross. We were not delivered. We did not come into the spirit of life that is in the victoriously anointed Christ Jesus. We were saved at the cross. So the quickening had to happen somewhere else. Paul is telling us of the moment. He just finished defining it explicitly in the last part of chapter 1 of Ephesians. Look at it. He said, uh, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead or he wrought in Christ the victoriously anointed one, when he raised him from the dead and sat him, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might, dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the, uh, that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So now we see why Paul is telling us about a quickening. And that quickening is occurring because of being delivered from the region of the damned and being robed in righteousness. Now our sin nature has been deposited. He and we with him, if we've gone there, are robed in robes of righteousness. When the old nature that is deposited in hell was taken there by you and me, my friend, that old nature was left there for good. The moment when death and hell were defeated and he arose victoriously and we come out with him, our sin nature is forever deposited in the region of the damned. If we go with him, we have the same quickening experience. We release our old nature and we take on the spirit of life that's in the victoriously anointed Jesus Christ. We apply grace now, my friends. Now back to the Gentiles and the reason for Matthew 28, 19 and 20 and Mark 16. The Gentiles required a complete makeover, if you will. For this reason, Jesus commanded concerning how to minister to them as they came into the knowledge of the truth. Now, the more I preach, the longer I preach, and the more I know, the more I come to realize just how little truth we Gentiles have been taught and preached to, and how little we have synthesized truth. And so I find the scripture that says my people are dying for lack of knowledge. I find that to be a fact. Because the truth of God's word, even by those who have far more people to preach to than I do, and far more people to hear their words than I do, are preaching that we have a bent to sin that we can't get rid of. And the reality is, that's because we're not following Jesus to the correct places. So, he knew that the Gentile would have to build a belief system that superseded any belief system of idol worship. They would require a much different approach than the approach that was prepared for the Jews. 
This would require them taking unto themselves the change, a complete change, transformation of belief system, which would have been initiated in the cross, and then the transformation that would occurred, have occurred in the death of their flesh and the depositing of their nature as they were delivered with Christ, resurrected as the victoriously anointed Christ. Jesus, knowing the influence that was upon their character. Now remember, this was the prince of the power of the air. The, the very uh, substance of disobedience that was upon them. So when speaking concerning the ministry that, that would be required for the conversion of the Gentile, express the transformation, and that transformation had to be absolutely complete. It had to involve all of the Godhead. It had to involve the complete plan of salvation. It had to involve all the actions and replications of Jesus Christ and the replications of the Holy Spirit. So they had to know the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. They must come to believe in all that has been designed for them by His uh, grand design, the divine design of the Godhead. Only in this manner were the natural and the demonic. Only in the natural can the demonic residence that is in them be brought under and into the life of truth. When it is using this template that God made, that Jesus taught after he came back as the man over all three worlds, and that Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit revealed to Paul, when this template of the knowledge of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit was given to them, exposed, there, came, there had to be a reverential treatment of who the Godhead was. And this will inspire now a new influence that transforms them into the children of light and brings them into the citizens of a kingdom in which Jesus Christ now becomes the high priest, the Lord, and the man in the Godhead, and from there he is king. So we find a doctrine that's being preached and applied in error. How does this affect the believer? Well, that's a very good question. It's led them off into a gospel that Paul described so well to us in Galatians. But my friend, there are even deeper implications than this. Why is this error? Well, the means of which you have been baptized was never prescribed by the Godhead and never taught by Jesus Christ as the means from where you fit into the entry level into his kingdom. So you are spiritually misaligned with the plan of salvation. Now that plan is a divine, grand design that he has designed specifically for the Gentile, for you and me. So how would that place us into another gospel? What are the deeper implications, you might ask? First, the compass that charts the course of your belief system is off course, is off place, is out of place in the line that takes you from earth to heaven. Because you have not built your belief system from the understanding of the correct teaching of Jesus Christ. 
That is something I hope I've made clear here. The disciples would have never altered because the ramifications of altering were absolutely uh, so detrimental because the love of Christ would leave them. The manifestation of Christ would leave them. The manifestation of the love of the Father. They would never have done that. So you built your belief system of understanding on inaccurate and incorrect teaching of Jesus. Therefore, you have no inner knowledge of the design of the Godhead for your, for, for your basic belief structure of spiritual instruction. Of course, you can trace that right into the core of the belief system that follows those who teach Acts 2.38 as the baptism. What is it? It's Jesus only. Here you can clearly see that when the error began, it multiplied and went into deeper error. Hence, another gospel. So let's move on to define the issue further using Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter 2. When one is not appropriately following the teaching of Jesus, there is the issue with what is at the root. Their flesh, their mind, and their disobedient nature. Their nature has not been effectively dealt with by the teaching of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you were baptized unto error. So the things that serve to influence them from the other gospel has at its core the power of the prince of the power of the air. Why? Because the demonic nature that was operating in them has not been appropriately washed, cleaned, and purged. We call it spiritual CPR. And then allowed to be refined into the image of his dear son or applied to our lives. We have a form of godliness, my friend, but we deny the power thereof. But pastor, someone would say to me, have you seen them worship? Oh, yes. Yes, I have. My friend, they dance up, they dress up, and they dance all over the place. They shout and yell and seem to be doing so in the spirit. But the question is, based on Paul's teaching, which spirit is it? According to Paul, it's done from a conversation that exposes an internal nature that is not commensurate with the new nature, the new man. Why? Because it's coming from another gospel. And any other gospel other than the gospel that Jesus taught and that the apostles revealed in correlation with the Jews and then that Paul revealed as a ministry to and for the Gentiles, my friends, it's another gospel. So to entertain a gospel that is not meant for you, of which you are not made to fit, or that your people are entertaining, of which they are not made to fit, well, that qualifies as another gospel. So what does that other gospel do? Let me tell you, very easily it entertains error. Who is the author of error? Paul defined it for us in Ephesians 2. The enemy of darkness. If we entertain error, then we are transformed if we entertain error, then are we transformed in nature? And the answer cannot be anything but no. Cannot be transformed in nature if we are operating in error. So under which nature then do we do, uh, uh, do we do the things that seem spiritual? 
Well, the influence of that nature, according to Paul's writings, at the end of verse 4, or 3 rather, he says, we are operating under the nature of children of wrath. Huh. We are operating under nature of the children of wrath, those who are coming under the wrath of God. That's sad. Now, do not expect for your ministry, if they hear this teaching, and they listen to it and they study it out, to come out and say, next Sunday morning, I see it, we're wrong. I see it, we have to change. Don't expect that. Because that probably will not happen. Why? Because even if they do see it, they won't want to recognize truth and they won't want to admit truth because they have a fundamental problem. What is that? They won't be able to overcome the flesh. No, they'll do exactly as I've said. They'll try to bring a well-educated, well-dressed individual and they will create an argument that says this is why that pastor is wrong. It will have no biblical analysis, not done at all as we have shown you. Now, why would they do that? Well, because of a lot of reasons that begin with things called money, power, housing, and all the things that the empire of error, or error has brought them. We can look into the megachurches and we can find the empire of error. And we can see why the empires of error continued to preach the message as they preached it. Because they are not going to change their message, which is a message of error, and say, yep, I see now that I've been wrong. Not going to do it. Why? Because it costs them people. It costs them attendance. It costs them the trust of the people. It costs them the confidence of the people. What does all of that wrap up into? It costs them money. It costs them money. It costs them where they live. It costs them their big church. It costs them their power. It costs them their control. So what's got to happen here? Well, uh, all the churches that operate in known error will continue to do so. And of course, you know them. We're not telling you anything that's we're not in understanding of now that we understand where the error in terms of water baptism is. So what must happen for you who have become a believer, who have taken on a transformation of your belief system? Well, you're going to have to begin to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. You must determine where you stand in the ministry of the gospel as it is produced by Jesus Christ and conveyed through the message of Paul. It is, in fact, right now, your spiritual moment. You have a moment now. Just like you had a moment that took you into air, God has provided for you a moment to take you out of air. You have a moment you have been through these moments that have altered the course of your spiritual life. You have danced and you have shouted and you have done all of the uh, imaginations and machinations that go along with their ministry. But you feel alone, 
You feel lost. You feel unfulfilled. You find absolutely nothing but exhaustion from trying to work yourself into the frenzy that brings about what they say is a spiritual account. You're tired of that. And you should be. Because what you're doing is a lot of, of flesh exposure, mind exposure. But the nature of that exposure is not being changed on the inside of you. So you're going to have to come and change your belief system. And you're going to have to be renewed by truth in the correct kingdom of His dear Son. Now you can begin to locate the nature change that accompanies such a correct belief system. But my friends, you're going to have to be transformed by truth. We have to be under the influence of truth. We have to choose truth. We have to come close into the truth. We have to pursue truth and to be in something that is a partial truth in truth at all. Think about that. So the moment the believer was drawn into the air of water baptism under the incorrect mechanics that did not apply to them, that individual has experienced a life-changing situation. They're now under the influence of a nature that was not meant for them to function. The sin nature will become prominent in their lives. You're struggling with that. That's why you go to church and perform like you do. Yeah. They'll attempt through outward expression of dress, dance, and seemingly spiritual actions to show their spiritual metal, if you will. But their inner nature will continue to crave the actions of the flesh and the nature of sin. Their mind will struggle. These are the moments, my friend, that change the lives of a believer into being very frustrated and into destruction. I look into my old hometown and I ask myself the question, such a strong area church-wise, how did drugs and the devices become so prominent that virtually uh, the majority of people are making their money through such means? How did that happen? Because they became frustrated with dancing and being exhausted. They became frustrated with shouting and having no experience to live on. Why? Because they came in the wrong way. They came in the wrong way, my friend. But these are the moments that change a believer. You can change now. What you were seemed so easy. It seemed absolutely uh, because everybody in your uh, circle was doing it. I want you to know it seemed easy to Adam and Eve too. But... Deception is like weight gain, my friend. It's easy to get into. It's hard to get out of. It's hard to lose. I pray that the message that you've heard and seen and the truth that is applied to the hearts of those who desperately require truth, I hope that you will see that. Then I hope that you will apply it to your life so that you can be changed into the image of His dear Son. I hope that you will allow the Holy Spirit to speak truth to you as the 3,000 did on the day of Pentecost. As the countless thousands of churches and church people did that developed the church of God. Because I want you to remember, and this is the fact, that Paul said this at the end of Ephesians 1, 
He has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You can be in the church. You can benefit from another moment where the Holy Ghost, as he is right now, is convicting you and convincing you. And you can be changed into truth. And you can come into that truth and you can begin to worship. Be forgiven. Then you can go and die to the flesh. Bury it in the tomb. Then you can have that nature. And for the first time in your life, you can live where Jesus Christ his actions, and the Holy Spirit's replications designed in the plan of salvation for you to be. You can be saved, healed. You can be preserved in your spirit, and then you can be delivered from that sin nature. God, in His mercy, Paul said, has made that to be so. He said that He has quickened you when you were dead in all of that and hath made us alive together with Christ Jesus. Think about that. This is your moment. Father, I pray that you'll minister peace, that you'll bring truth, and that you'll deliver your people, and that you will cause us to stand in the application of grace and put our faith in the right place and change us, transform us, so that we can come in to the walk according to the plan of Jesus Christ. We will give you praise and honor and glory for all of it in the lovely name of Jesus who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Well, I'm done for today. I'll be back tomorrow with the second part of the priority of worship. May God richly bless you is my prayer. As you hear His Word, apply it because the Holy Ghost is convicting you to do so. God bless you until we speak again. My friends, find Him as Lord and there He'll operate the new covenant on your behalf. Find Him as the man in the Godhead and there He'll speak great and mighty things that'll show you things that you just didn't know. May God richly bless you until we speak again.